Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Wool This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Welcome to all our listeners at 2MMIA in Griffith, 2RRR in Gladesville, New South Wales, Radio N in Yapoon, Queensland, 4NSA from Noosa Heads in Queensland, Huon FM in Tasmania, 2XX. from Canberra, obviously 3CR in Melbourne, from which this radio program comes from, 3UGE from Alexandria in Victoria, 4NSA from Noosa Heads in Queensland, 5UV from Adelaide, South Australia, 7RGY from Geefston, Tasmania, 8CCC from Alice Springs in the ACT. So, welcome to all our listeners across the country. As I said before, this program comes to you from the studios of FreeCR in Melbourne. My name is Joseph Toscano. The program is broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. If you're listening to this program somewhere in Australia and you've got a local community radio station, there's a strong possibility there may be a member of the Community Radio Network. Check with your local community radio station, see if they're happy to broadcast the Anarchist World this week because... You know, we're tame paper tigers. Let's be realistic. Anarchism is an exceptionally conservative concept. It really, really is. Anarchos without rulers. It's an ideology, a philosophy, a practical way of organising. It's about people organising their lives without rulers. Now, I'm sure you're sick and tired when you turn on the news, go on the net, whatever you do to, you know, get your rocks off, you know, as far as uh, current affairs is concerned, that it's all about leaders here and leaders there and rulers telling people what to do. And if you're sick and tired of that and you think that people themselves have the capacity to organise themselves in a federal system based on delegation, Anarchos without rulers, well, whether you believe it or not, you're an anarchist. So what's cons- what's so radical about the people involved in the decision making that decision? What's so radical about holding wealth in common so everybody can share the common wealth? We do live in the Commonwealth of Australia, you may have forgotten, and obviously that concept comes from the Commonwealth which was created when Charlie's the first head rolled down the aisles. I think it was in the 17th century. So, anarchism, simple. Now today, 
Oh, there's a few things I want to I want to chat. I don't I don't think the word discuss. I think you need two people to discuss things. But I mean, I want to chat about just a few things. Nothing particularly radical, but uh, important things in my opinion. Now I know that a lot of people think that's what's happening in Victoria regarding signing a treaty or a number of treaties with this country, with the state's indigenous population is a world beater. But it's all going well. Well, to me, the Victorian government has corporatized. That's right, that horrible word, the treaty process. Now, although there's a, a First Peoples Assembly and a Yorok, Yorok Justice Commission, it's interesting to see that the state government is playing favourites. Currently, of the 40 original language groups which existed in the state of Victoria, there are 11 registered Aboriginal parties. We call them RAPs, Registered Aboriginal Parties. So what is a registered Aboriginal party? A registered Aboriginal party is a group that is recognised by the state government for responsibility in a specific area. And the beauty of being a registered Aboriginal party, and remember there's only 11 in Victoria of the 40 distinct language groups, a registered Aboriginal party has all the say in dealings with government in their area, in these areas. All the say. They have a monopoly. So in many regards, registered Aboriginal parties are basically monopolies who have been given a tick by the state government to represent. Now, not only do we have the 11 registered Aboriginal parties, but we have registered Aboriginal parties which have been given a tick by the state government against the advice of their own department. And I'll repeat that again. We have registered Aboriginal parties which have been given a tick by the state government so they've got sole say in dealings with government in these areas. When I talk about government, I'm not just talking about state government but I'm talking about local government because local governments are creatures of state government and they have to follow the state government perspective. For example, and I particularly, I'm not going to name any particular groups at this particular point in time, but I'll give you an example. A particular group which was recognised by a number of councils in the Melbourne region, which is currently going through the federal court in order to overturn the state government decision. Because let's not forget, the 1967 referendum gave the federal government the power 
to intervene in matters regarding this country's First Nations people. And that's what the referendum was about. It wasn't about the right to vote. It was about the Commonwealth government taking the power from the states, which were the bodies which were a break on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander advancement, in inverted commas. So there are a number of federal cases now in Victoria by Aboriginal parties that have been removed or not registered by the state government. So who is the state government registering? They are basically registering organisations, that's right, organisations which follow their dictate. They're excluding the more radical elements of the Aboriginal community in Victoria because obviously the more radical element it's much more difficult to negotiate with them because of the extent of the things that they actually want in return as far as to be incorporated in a treaty. So it's not all negative, it's positive. Because although the Victorian state government has these registered Aboriginal parties and an assembly, which is to a large degree is dominated by the registered Aboriginal parties and a Justice Commission, which again is dominated by these registered Aboriginal parties, other parties in Victoria have mobilised, and although it's a very expensive undertaking, sometimes it can take up to millions of dollars, they are fighting back these state government decisions through the federal courts. So I think it's important that when we hear people talking about treaty or treaties in Victoria, that we understand what is going on behind the scenes. It's very important. Because if we don't understand what's going on behind the scenes, we may find ourselves with a treaty with the registered Aboriginal parties, but everybody else in the community, in the Aboriginal community in the, in, in the state of Victoria, is excluded because once you're a registered Aboriginal party, you have all the say in dealings with government at the local and state level. That's right. For example, I was mentioning before, a particular group I'm familiar with, they'd had a good relationship with local councils for 20 to 30 years. The uh, state government made a decision regarding who would represent that area and all of a sudden the local council is no longer able to deal with these particular groups. End of story. And that's what it's like. And no wonder there is so much dissatisfaction regarding the, cu the current treaty process. You cannot have a treaty process that excludes people who show that they have descendancy from the original inhabitants. And this is happening for one very good reason. Because if you can register Aboriginal parties that are dependent on government support financially to keep their infrastructure functioning, it means you can actually control the nature of the treaty process. Now, on the 20th of January is the Tanaminawe Mōbōhina commemoration. Now, it's very interesting that this year we were asked by a third party 
to invite a commissioner from the Yoruk Justice Commission to speak at the function. And it makes sense. I mean, it's a justice commission. It's looking at what happened during the colonisation process. And you need to understand that we did the hard work. That's right, the Anarchist Media Institute through the Tanaminawe Mobile Hina Commemoration Committee, which consisted of anarchists. And we struggled for over 10 years to have a significant monument erected by the Melbourne City Council to mark that event. This is a pivotal event in Australian history. And I'll tell you why it's a pivotal event in Australian history. Because before 1842, the massacres which were occurred, occurred clandestinely. People were pushed off their lands, they were butchered, they were poisoned, they were, had disease spread. But this was when the state, when five people, five people who had been sent from Flinders Island, the remnants of the Tasmanian population, to Victoria in 1841 under Mr Robinson to civilise the Victorian blacks. That five took to the hills, and what I'm talking about is Danny, the Dandenong Ranges and Mornington Peninsula in 1841, and began a guerrilla struggle against the authorities which caused consternation, which saw hundreds of settlers flock back into Melbourne for protection. Five people. Tanaminaway, Morbohina, Traganini, Planobina and Putirana. Five. After a successful campaign that lasted over eight weeks, they were eventually captured, tried, and the two men, Tanaminaway and Morbohina, was found by the Supreme Court judge, Joseph Willis, to be guilty of insurrection, to be guilty of murder, to be guilty of fighting back. And they were hung on the 20th of January, 1842, the first people hung in the state of Victoria. That's right, 1842. So these were judicial executions for people resisting colonisation, which was carried out by the state. These, in, these weren't extrajudicial massacres. These were judicial executions. And for over 10 years, we fought for the creation of a significant monument to the frontier wars in Melbourne. And this monument was opened in 2016. And on the 20th of January, we continue to hold a commemoration. And the first hour of the commemoration is broadcast from midday to 1pm on Community Radio 3CR. And you can access that by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 12 to 1. That's next Friday, the 20th of January. Now, as I said before, we've got the runs on the board. We did the hard work. We didn't beg or beseech. We had resistance from all quarters, including sections of the Aboriginal community, as well as the Murdoch press and the usual conservative hacks that you've got to deal with when you've got a, a bit of a radical agenda in this country. 
but we won through for our persistence. And of the seven original members of the Tanaminawe Mawbohini Commemoration Committee, four have died. And that's my late wife, Ellen Jose, Joy French, Bill French, and Rick Simpson. There's only three of us left with that original committee. So when I was asked to send an invitation to the Yoruk, and my apologies for the pronunciation, Justice Commission, I thought, well, why not? So we sent off an invitation and we got this long letter asking us who's going to speak, how long they're going to speak, what this is, blah, 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 which we filled out dutifully. Send it off and guess what? The Yurok Justice Commissioners, one of them, just one, is not available to spend an hour on Friday, the 20th of January, at the commemoration. So you make of it what you will. Make of it what you will. And again, this highlights the nature of this treaty process. This highlights its nature. This is the situation we find ourselves in the 21st century. Now, a lot of people are asking me, what do you think of the referendum, which will be held within the next nine to 12 months regarding a voice to parliament? And I say, well, I support it. I'll tell you why I support it. Now, obviously, the more conservative and reactionary forces in Australian society, which we've seen with the National Party and we've seen with the Liberal Party, which is still involved in their, their little culture wars, which even deny the fact that the country was colonised in the most brutal fashion, who remembered that they fought tooth and nail against the Mabo decision in 1992, and they have fought tooth and nail against the WIC decision and a number of other Supreme uh, High Court decisions which have given Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander rights to land and sea. And they introduced legislation to water down the decision to such an extent that traditional owners don't even have the power to block mining on their land. They only have the power to negotiate during a fixed period. And even then, in many cases, not even receiving the royalties which there are demanded. So why do I support it? Well, the first thing I support it is because of the Uluru statement in 2017. This was based on delegation. Delegates were sent from across Australia, from Australia's First Nations communities, to Uluru. And they wanted three things. They wanted a voice to Parliament, they wanted a Truth Commission, and they wanted discussion towards treaty. Reasonable things. So why a referendum? Well, it's simple. The last time the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community had a voice to Parliament, and we've had it in the past, it was called ATSIC. Local communities would elect representatives to deal, you know, provide a voice to Parliament. Now, when the federal 
when the Howard government took over, they abolished ATSIC. And the thing about governments at the state and fe- especially at the federal level is they give, they take it away. The whole point of an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander or a First Nations voice to Parliament is to have a voice, but to have that voice incorporated in the Australian Constitution so future governments cannot abolish that voice to Parliament without first going to the Australian people. Now, obviously, the National Party and the Liberal Party will be pushing the line that the voice to Parliament is some type of opposition or dual power situation that they will have power to dictate to the Australian Parliament what legislation will be. Now, obviously, this is not the voice to Parliament. When you have a referendum, and if the people support that referendum, government then has to create legislation to give that decision life. The government, the opposition asking for the nuts and bolts to be created before the referendum highlights what they are doing in terms of causing consternation. And that's the key, causing consternation amongst the Australian people regarding a particularly mild reformist proposal and that proposal is to have a First Nations voice to Parliament which advises Parliament regarding Aboriginal and Torres Strait matters. It's not that they've got the power to make legislation. It's not that they're an alternative to the Federal Government or the House of Representatives and the Senate. It's a simple voice. As people say, no decisions without my consent. Simple. Nothing radical about it. So, school holidays aren't finished. So if you're around on the 20th of January, I encourage you to join us. At the Tanaminaway and Morbohina commemoration. The great thing about the Tanaminaway Mobile Human Commemoration Committee and all the people that have appeared over the years is we have never paid one cent to anybody. And the people that come, like Janet Gulpin from the uh, Bunarong Foundation to do the Welcome to Country, come freely. They don't require payment. It's the same with all the other guest speakers and anybody who turns up and anybody who's been involved at committee level. Unfortunately, we are now seeing many of the things that we have for years riled against, private investment for private profit, become a significant feature of a lot of I can understand if it's something official. But again, there are many grassroots activist groups which can't afford 
to pay for a welcome to country. But do a lot of important work, grassroots work, in terms of promoting these ideas. So, if you're on in Melbourne on the 20th of January, don't have to ring anybody up, you don't have to book, just turn up, 20th of January. We do start at midday exactly, because the program is uh, broadcast on Community Radio 3CR. Les Thomas will be uh, performing. He'll be doing his uh, very famous Tanamanuaya Morbohina song, which he wrote for the commemoration. We'll have other speakers there, including Janet Galpin, uh, Rowan Lepart from the Melbourne City Council. Usually we find that the, uh, the number of guests we invite, the number of rejections we get is quite extraordinary. But that's, that's the nature of what happens if you're, uh, you've got a... You know, you speak the truth. As George Orwell used to say, speaking the truth is a revolutionary act. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Look, if you're listening to this program anywhere in Australia, what we did, you can do. It's simple. What we would like to see, this is the Commemoration Committee, we would like to see the 20th of January be Mark marked around the country as First Nations Freedom Fighters Commemoration Day. We have a Commemoration Day, Anzac Day, to uh, commemorate Australian men and women who've died in war, mainly overseas, fighting other people's wars overseas. Why shouldn't we have a day commemorating the tens of thousands of men, women and children who died resisting colonisation, who continue to resist colonisation. So that's our dream. That's our dream. Whether it happens or not is irrelevant. What is relevant is that the idea is out there and that we'll be promoting that idea. But, once again, Tanamina Morbohina Commemoration Day, Friday the 20th of January, midday to 2pm, Starts off at the monument at the execution site of Tanaminoa Mulbohina uh, at the corner of uh, Franklin and Victoria Street, Melbourne, just across the way from the Melbourne um, city, the old Melbourne city jail. 12 to 1, guest speakers, broadcast at Community Radio 3CR. 1 o'clock, we will walk down to what we believe is the uh, Tanaminoa's and Mulbohina's burial site uh, at the uh, at the Queen Victoria markets and um, we'll be asking people to um, basically express their feelings and why they're there on the day so there's two parts to it there's the one to two so there's a 12 to one at the monument and if you are coming please bring flowers for the monument and also for the uh, burial site which is obviously is under the Queen Victoria Market. There's over 7,000 people buried under the Queen Victoria Market, but that's an interesting story, which I'll tell you in a minute. But um, come along. It's a family-friendly day. It's a great way to get children to understand the colonisation process and what happened in this country. And uh, you're all welcome. You're all invited. You don't have to ring anybody up. Just turn up on the day. Turn up on the day. Let's move on.
Now that little story about the Queen, uh, the uh, Queen Victoria market and the seven thousand plus bodies uh, which are buried underneath it. Well, the first people, the first Europeans who died, three of them were buried on uh, Flagstaff uh, in Flagstaff Gardens, which was the highest point where people used to see the ships coming through their heads. And then the uh, cemetery was uh, set up where the Queen Victoria Market was. And it was extended uh, later on. But the interesting thing is when the cemetery was extended, a contract was leased out by the uh, current Victorian government, at that stage colonial government, to have the bodies removed. Now the contract stated quite clearly, which the... uh, a very smart uh, entrepreneur noticed. And the entrepreneur said that we will remove the bodies from the Queen Victoria Market site that are under headstones. That meant that the 90% of early Victorians, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, who are buried in the Queen Victoria Markets, their bones were not removed from the Queen Victoria Market because of the contract which said bodies under gravestones. So when you walk around the Queen Victoria Market, think of all those people you're walking over. No, I'm not making this up. It's real. Let's move on. I'm interested in this concept of competitive interests. In Australia today, we have national interests, corporate interests, and public interests. And there's a constant clash between these three interests. So what are national interests? Well, national interests are basically the, the um, federal government concern. Interests of the country as a whole. The interests of the sovereign nation state in terms of maintaining the te- territorial integrity of the sovereign nation-state called Australia. Then we have corporate interests, and corporate interests are basically tied up in the interests of the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication that have been making hay over the last 40 years during the privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation era. And then we have public interests. That's the people, you and me, you know, the losers. Or the winners, depending on how you like to put it economically. I mean, we're, we're winners as far as life is concerned, losers economically. And losers because things have been ripped away. It's very simple. So you've got national interests, corporate interests, public interests. Now, we have a representative democracy where you've gone through the process over the last uh, six months or so of electing a um, federal government. Now... I actually stood in that election, remarkably unsuccessful, remarkably unsuccessful, which is to be expected. But so now we have this situation where you have representatives in Parliament who supposedly look after national interests, the interests of the country as a whole, and look after public interests, the interests of the people they represent. Now, our corporate CEOs, they weren't the ones who elected the people to Parliament. We elected the people to Parliament. We were, we were the ones who gave them a signed blank cheque to make decisions for us for the next you know, three to four years. 
So let's look at the situation. You've got national interest, corporate interest, public interest, and Parliament is supposed to be the arbitrator of what is important and what isn't important. They're the arbitrator. What is important? What isn't important? They make the laws. They make the decisions regarding what happens in society. Now, you notice when I talked about national interests and public interests that I didn't mention corporate interests. Silly me. Silly, silly, silly me. I forgot the most important part of the equation. Corporate interests, the interests of the 1% that own the means to production, distribution, exchange, communication, always trump public interests and almost always trump national interests. And that's why, and I'll repeat it again, we have privately private charities rattling the tin to raise money to send Australian kids to public schools, which you and I pay for through the taxation. That's why we have over 30,000 charities, registered charities in this country, rattling tins for this and that and this and that. Not that I've got anything against people rattling tins, But I think to myself, we do live in a rich country. You may not be a recipient of that wealth, but we do live in a rich country, an exceptionally rich country, the 20th largest economy on planet Earth. And we still have all these perennial problems, things like, one in six Australian children living in poverty, one-third of the population having to pay rent, one-third of the population paying a mortgage for decades to keep a a roof over their heads. We have people clamouring to access public hospitals. We have people being denied educational opportunities because of the situation they find themselves in. We have one third of the population who rely on social security benefits to survive living almost below the poverty line and some below the poverty line. And we have people basically hostages to a wage system which pays them a pittance in comparison to CEOs of corporations. The list goes on and on. And I think to myself every day, I mean, you know, don't say I'm fixated on it, but, you know, it crosses my mind. National interests, corporate interests, public interests. So why don't public interests, the interests of the population as a whole, trump corporate interests and modify national interests? Well, because power does not lie in Parliament. It lies in that 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication. And why does power lie in their hands? Because they are able to massage the legislative agenda. We could be the richest country on the planet. We could have no children 
living in poverty. My apologies to Mr. Hawk as he spins in his grave. We could have the best public education system in the world. The best healthcare in the world. The best public housing system in the world. And we could do it through an act of parliament. We could nationalise this country's major mining exporters. You see, we've been seduced. We've been seduced into believing that we cannot mine our own resources, export them, and share the wealth. We have been told you can't do it. What you need is to give a private corporation, multinational, transnational, whatever you like to, sole power to extract minerals from the earth, irrespective of the First Nations people's opinions and irrespective of the pittance of a royalty which goes to them, and irrespective of the pittance of a royalty which comes to us, and irrespective of the minimal amount of taxation we receive, and irrespective of the escalating costs we have to pay for things like gas and electricity, irrespective, we say, you mine that stuff, and you export it, and you make billions of dollars, if not tens of billions of dollars for your major shareholders, and your CEOs and they're all their acolytes, you know, take home salaries of millions of dollars and tens of millions of dollars in some cases. And we will, if you're big enough, we'll throw a few coins in your direction. And you can then decide whether you're going to support public housing or public education or the public hospital system. But just let us do our business. And that's the dilemma. Extraordinary. I'd be jailed. If I had a business model, I'd be bankrupt within 24 hours if I had such a business model. If I say, oh, look, I've got this pile of dirt and it's full of minerals. Now, you go out there and I say to me, mate, you go out there and dig them up and export them and give me 0.2% return. Criminal. So... That's a dilemma. When corporate interests trump public interests and national interests become secondary considerations to corporate interests and corporate profits, we have a major problem because it means we don't have the resources to actually look after the interests of the people as a whole. And while we continue to believe that the private investment for private profit model is the only model available to human beings to organise their affairs, nothing will change. I'm not saying the private investment for private profit model hasn't got a role in society, may have a role in society in giving us terrible cups of coffees or nice cups of coffees, but does it really have a role in society in monopolising 
essential services. Really? Give me a break. I mean, what we've seen over the last 40 years, or almost 50 years now, is the bargain basement sale of profitable public assets to the private sector on ideo- because of ideological whims, which has increased the cost to the population. Look at aged care, privatised. Look at the disaster in many areas of aged care. Look at early childhood development, the privatisation of early childhood development. Look at the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Great concept, almost bankrupted and destroyed by the private sector, which is a monopoly in providing services for the National Disability Insurance Look at the public housing sector. What public housing sector? I was interested to hear that many of the homes, about 80% of the homes that have been destroyed in West Australia in Fitzroy Crossing are public houses. In Victoria, we don't know what a public house is. And everywhere you, you go, people talk about affordable housing, community housing, social housing. Gives me the shits. I'll have to change my underwear after this program. Nobody talks about public housing as if it's some type of horrible, evil concept. When, the Vict- when it was exposed that, the Vic- that one quarter, 25%, of what's left of the public housing sector in Victoria, which is not very many, 60,000 units, are empty at any one time, and many are empty for months and years, and that these sites have been run down. When the Minister for Public Housing was asked to comment, no comment. And that's the beauty of living in this type of society. Headline one day, disappears the next. So it's about time we put public interest before corporate interest. Now, if you are interested in interest, what a tautology, public interest, corporate interest. If you're interested in joining public interest before corporate interests, well, we're always looking for new members. Go to the website, info at Pipsy, or just go to pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. You can join online. If you're sick and tired of the political party you're involved in because they don't actually promote the types of concepts and ideas you're involved in, well, I encourage you, encourage you to join public interest before corporate interests. Let's move on. When is news not news? When we have an ABC expose. Now, I was amused. I shouldn't have been amused. I should have been annoyed, but what's the point of being annoyed when you can be amused? When the Australian Broadcasting Corporation told all of us, stop press, that the Australian government was selling armaments to bodgy countries. Hmm? Countries with questionable human rights records. Now this has been going on for decades. For decades we have been supplying armaments to successive Indonesian governments to ensure the people of West Papua and, in the, and before independence East Timor continued to be an occupied country. We've trained their troops in Australia. We give them the anti-terrorist, in inverted commas, strategies to deal 
with that type of insurgency, which we've seen in West Papua, which has led to the death of over a half a million people in the last 60 years. We have been sending arms to Saudi Arabia for decades. It was the previous government's intention to make Australia a great arms exporting industry. That's right. Arms exporting industry. I mean, where's the expose of what's been going on in West Papua? It never seems to hit the headlines. It's like public housing. Never seems to hit the headlines. Never seems to hit the headlines. I don't understand. And that's why we have the same issues week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out. If you picked up an old paper or had a look at an old paper on the net, you'd see the same issues cropping up time and time and time and time again. Yeah, because you hear it on the radio, it doesn't mean the problem is fixed. For example, currently, it's very difficult to make any contact with any government department. Very difficult. Currently, it's all about digital IDs. The list goes on and on. So, as I said before, if you want change, you need to be involved. I don't particularly care what you're involved in. Well, as long as it's positive, obviously. But the key is to sit back and watch and wait and watch and wait for the right things to be done doesn't work. Working out the right channels, as I explained regarding the Victorian government's corporatisation of the treaty process in 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 the state of Victoria does not work. Begging and beseeching does not work. The only thing that seems to work historically is people taking action and putting governments on notice. Governments at the state and federal level need to to understand that they need to fear the public the people they represent, more than the corporate sector. Because we have the capacity, the intelligence, the educational and the organisation to be able to create a different society, a society based on the satisfaction of real human needs, not manufactured human needs. Now, currently, a lot of people ask me, well, Joe, how come you got all this time? Well, I still do work part-time. I've got a little bit of extra time. I'll tell you, I've got a handy home hint. I'm going to try to do it. I mean, that's my specialty, giving unsolicited advice to people who are not interested in unsolicited advice, but it's my specialty. See, I don't waste my time scrolling. 
up and down, up and down, scrolling, 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 TikTok, YouTube, you name it. I don't waste my time. I know people who are spending eight hours a day, ten hours a day, scrolling up and down, getting angry, having a stroke, tearing their hair out if they've got any left. You know, because they scroll up and down, up and down, up and down, thinking somehow that this is going to change the world, that they're going to be able to change the world by liking this and liking that and looking at this and looking at that. The fact is, all these platforms are based on the private investment for private profit model. And you are the meat. That's right. It's your eyeballs on their advertising, irrespective of what the platform is, which makes a buck for them. So I'm not telling you not to delve into it occasionally, but I'm saying to you, what's the point? You'd have much more effect in your community who actually getting involved. I'll give you an example. Now, look, this doesn't really affect 99.99% of the listeners, but I'll, I'll just give you a small example. Now, I got a note today. That's right, people do write to me occasionally about a historic building in Beaconsville, which is an outer, outer Melbourne suburb, I think past Cranbourne, up that way. And the Victorian state government, yes, my favourite government, has acquired a house that had been renovated, a historic home, which is kind of the centre of Beaconsville. Historic home and a historic tree. And they're going to knock back that, they're going to demolish that historic home and that tree to put a giant overpass over the railway line. Hmm. Now, those residents have options. They can forget about it and say, well, that's nice, that's progress. I'd like to have a big bridge over the railway line so I can walk over it. Or they can actually fight it. And obviously people are starting to organise, to fight it. So they're not accepting it as a fait accompli. Because the house has been compulsorily acquired, it was owned privately, it could now be used, if the, if the resistance is strong enough, as some type of community hub or historic building or whatever. So that's just one little thing in one little corner of this great country, this huge country. Think about it. Why waste your time scrolling up and down when you can actually get involved in local activity? Now, the last thing, I know it's it doesn't help, but I would like to send my condolences to all those people that have been affected by floods recently. And I did the same during the fires, and the list goes on and on. But the fact is, this country does not have an adequate disaster management plan and I'll and I'll mention once again what we need is 50 regional and urban disaster centers which are publicly owned which are ready to respond 
to disasters in their particular region. The climate emergency is real and if we don't actually organise a public response to ongoing climate emergencies, the pictures you see currently will continue to be a feature and we will see climate refugees from our own country. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. As I said at the beginning of the program, um, if you're interested in assisting us with our uh, finances regarding broadcasting, give us a ring on 0439 395 489. If you're interested in going to the Tanamunua Mulbohina commemoration, go to the uh, website tanamul.org, tana, T-U-N-N, mulb.org, but... Uh, Come along on the 20th of January. That's midday sharp. If you'd like to leave a number, zero four three. If you'd like to phone me and leave a message, zero four three nine three nine five four eight nine. YouTube, public interest before corporate interests. You can uh, uh, write to us. That's right. I do receive letters. Not many, but we still do. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. And if you want to join public interest before corporate interests, pipsy.net. And don't forget. Dinner at Labuketa. Ah, one last thing. I'm interested in doing public lectures on Australian radical history. So if you know of a pub somewhere in the CBD or outside the CBD with a spare room that's free, uh, I'd like to do a lecture once a week. Sorry, once. I got carried away once a month regarding Australia's radical history because if we don't talk about it, nobody else will. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. I'd like to thank Kelly for coming back to make this show a reality, because without her, I'm nothing, because I don't know how to push buttons. I have a... I just can't do it, can't. Can't do it. I've got an allergy to them. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. That phone number, 0439 395 489. You can email info at pipsy.net, info at anarchistmedia.org, you name it, YouTube, public interest before corporate interest. We've got all the things, but don't scroll your life away. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.